0: I'm live! Hi, hello, and welcome to a special Sunday night edition of The Debrief. I'm Mike Lewis, and this evening I will be joined by Adam Rasmussen, who is filling in for Dominic de Souza. This evening's topics include the Apostolic Visitation in the Diocese of Tyler, the new Prefect for the dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith, and the new working document for the Synod on Synodality's meeting this October. So, Be right back. I'm not as great at the controls as uh, Dominic is. Unfortunately, Dominic and I were unable to get our schedules coordinated during the week over the last two weeks, but so many important things have been happening in the church that I didn't want another week to go by without discussing them with you, so I am glad to Welcome, the great Adam Rasmussen, to join me today. Um, Adam Hello. is a hi. Adam is a theologian and he is the a religious studies teacher at my alma mater in Maryland, Our Lady of Good Counsel High School. And so, you've just finished your first year of teaching there, and you've also just come back from vacation with your family. So, yes. how was how is, how was GC OLGC? How was teaching? It's been You're great.
1: On? Uh, taking this job has been one of the best decisions of my life. And oh. I'm also really g- glad to have done the first year and first year is in the bag because you know, the first year that's the hardest and you never have to do it again.
0: That's right. And you can hopefully save your old lesson plans and improve on them yeah. rather than yes, I get to teach
1: the same classes again, thankfully.
0: Oh, good. Excellent. So anyway, any, any uh, good council students, be sure to uh, sign up for Dr. They call you Dr. Rasmussen in class? Yes, oh, of course. Or Dr. Adam. Dr. Anna. R.
1: I go Dr. by Dr. R. Dr. R.
0: Dr. R, okay. So anyway, um, you know, you haven't you were able to write for us most recently, I think on the 10th anniversary of Pope Francis's mm. election, which was back in March. But obviously, you've been tied up with a lot of things, but you have been faithfully reading where Peter is and, and keeping up on things in the church, maybe not as obsessively as me, but that is healthy so
1: (laughs) i have been a bit busy yes
0: yeah so um i guess we can we can get right into it if you want the so the first topic is is a domestic issue um it seems that about uh i guess a week ago now we uh news came out of uh apostolic visitation taking place in the diocese of tyler texas uh headed by bishop joseph strickland who is a widely known uh, social media personality. And he recently tweeted that he rejects the program of Pope Francis to undermine the deposit of faith, which if, uh, I mean, you're the theologian, but most of the time, I don't think bishops should be going around tweeting things like that, especially if they want to keep their jobs.
1: Yeah. It was an extraordinary thing for a Catholic bishop to say. I can't think of any similar situation where any bishop has come out that strongly and explicitly against the sitting Pope.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things that that I've noted and that others have noted is that even though Bishop Strickland is just a bishop and he has a small diocese, um, unlike some of the other outspoken leaders of this anti-Francis movement uh Bishop Athanasius Schneider, Cardinal Mueller, uh, Archbishop Vigano, Cardinal Burke. These are Archbishops and Cardinals. Um, well, Schneider is he's an auxiliary Bishop, which means that he's under a diocesan ordinary. There's nobody directly under his authority. And when you look at at Mueller, Burke, and Vigano, they're all retired or out of work, and they don't have anyone under their direct authority. And I think that, my personal take is even though Strickland may not have as high a profile or a pedigree, he actually had people under his jurisdiction, you know, 55,000 Catholics. And I think that that contributed to um, why it was important that he be investigated. Um, do you have any sense of what um, what the results of this might be or, or the types of things they may have looked into?
1: I mean, obviously, I don't have any inside information, but if I had to place a bet, I would guess one of two outcomes. Either he is removed from his diocese completely, as has happened, or forced to resign. Or some of his power is delegated to someone else, like happened a number of years ago in Seattle, uh, where the powers of the bishop were mostly taken away and given to uh, one of his auxiliaries, which is Donald World. I think. Yeah,
0: I think that was one of his, uh, Bishop Donald Worrell was uh, the secretary, the pre-secretary to Cardinal Wright in the Vatican. He was a cardinal from Pittsburgh. And then I think that was his first appointment as a bishop. And then he moved mm-hmm. on to Pittsburgh and then became the Archbishop of Washington. Um, I think in the case of Bishop Strickland, though, he's only 64 years old and the mandatory retirement age is 75. I don't, I personally don't see how this can really continue for 11 more years. And I, I wouldn't wish a, uh, an auxiliary or coadjutor position on anyone. I think in that particular position, because he's become a national figure. Um, and and that's sort of the thing. He's a national figure, international figure. He became, I, I, In my article about the quote unquote making of Bishop Strickland, I noted that um, he was relatively unknown until 2018. And then the first time I personally took notice of him, other than knowing his name and knowing that Tyler was a diocese, was after the Vigano letter came out uh, in August of 2018. And he wrote a very strong letter that basically said that he believed it to be credible and he ordered all of his bishops to post his letter about that letter, which included a link to Vigano's letter, on their you know put it in their bulletin, put it on their diocesan websites. And I I sort of felt that that was a very strong reaction. And then in um, November 2018, he was one of the more outspoken voices on the floor of the USCCB meeting in Baltimore, which, if you recall, that was a fairly uh, contentious right. meeting the bishops were trying to come up with their own proposal. And at, the la- and at the last second, the Vatican said, no, we didn't want you to do this. You can't propose it. And so they had to back out at the last minute, which was, I mean, if we talk about bishops criticizing a Pope, I think uh, Cardinal DiNardo, who was the president of the USCCB at the time, actually said some things about being very upset that the Pope had done this. Um, yes, I do remember that. And then 2019 progressed. Um and Bishop Strickland became active on Twitter. I think he really made a name him for himself during COVID because he was one of the few bishops that uh, actively stood uh, stood up against, you know, fully against the vaccine. He signed a you know an open letter written by Bishop Strickland that denied what the CDF had said. It rejected what the right. CDF said about uh, remote material cooperation. Anyway, so
1: um, I think he was one of the few bishops anywhere who was promoting that false idea that it was illicit uh, cooperation and evil. Well, I think he was one of the he was the most public.
0: Now, obviously, there was a Bishop Torres in Puerto Rico who was sending out religious exemptions to the vac- uh, for the vaccine, and he was promoting the conspiracy theories and he was removed. A, a year or two ago. Um, no, I
1: did not know that.
0: Yes, there was. And then I know of a couple in France and Italy. Well, at least one bishop in France. And I don't know about, um, I'm thinking of a priest in Italy uh, whose parish did not do it. But yeah, I mean, there were a few, but in the English speaking world, he was he was the champion of it. I think bishop, Archbishop Brolio and Archbishop of uh, the uh, Diocese of Military Services and Archbishop Cordiglione, were a little bit, um, uh, I guess, more in support of people not getting the vaccine than Pope Francis and the Vatican position. Uh, right. The bishops of Colorado seem to lean that way, but uh, then he started to to go further into conspiracy theories. I mean, I, I, tra- to trace the history of the things that he said um, last year, the biggest article that we published for where Peter is in terms of traffic was uh was when bishop strickland tweeted out a video from the remnant in which the remnant's editor michael matt described the the pope as a diabolically disordered clown
1: yes i remember that well
0: and and then you know and i hate it because we publish so much good stuff and like why are articles about tweets from this bishop <laughs> why yeah. are they our... are
1: <laughs> it is newsworthy though for a catholic bishop to basically he didn't say it, but essentially endorsed the message that the Pope is an insane, diabolical clown.
0: Yeah. And and he doubled down on it. He said something to the effect of on his radio show, I didn't hear anything that wasn't true. And he got away. He got away with that. Um, he also I remember he posted a an article from I believe it was a Chinese uh, Protestant anti-Catholic website that was promoting the idea that the Abraham house in Abu Dhabi was uh, promoting the one world religion. And if you don't know what the Abraham house is or Abrahamic house, um, it's, it's a planned community, which I believe is uh, not community, but um, piece of land that it's under construction. It will have a church for Christians to worship a mosque for Muslims to worship and a synagogue for Jews to worship all on the same compound, but with separate worship spaces and then common community spaces, a common right. courtyard, and there would and be conference sort of rooms,
1: connected to the Pope's initiative for you know human fraternity, global human human fraternity with unity and cooperation between Christians, Jews, Muslims, and others.
0: And absolutely, and for this to be built in a Muslim country is is astounding. I, I think it's funny because uh, Catholic, hardcore, uh, you know. Reactionaries don't seem to realize that when Catholics and Muslims come together and make an agreement and agree on peace and friendship and things like that, there's a lot of Muslim backlash too. Yeah. Um, if you ever, uh, you know, get to the right, get to using right-click on uh, on Muslim Twitter, you can see that some of these things that people are tweeting at more conciliatory Muslims are are just as bombastic and just yeah. as condemnatory. As every famous, religion
1: has fundamentalists, you know, it's just an aspect of religion in the modern world.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately there is a narrative that's in, become increasingly influential in the U S that a more fundamentalist version of Catholicism is the correct version, which flies against the Catholic tradition because we are a people of God who are proceeding through history with a living magisterium with you know we have an ecclesial structure that is the pope and the bishops in communion with him and when you break that communion even if you're the reasons why you're claiming to break that communion are because it's quote unquote more traditional that's outside the ecclesiology of the catholic church right which we've both written on many times okay so this next topic if you don't, if you don't have anything else to say on that mm-hmm. Um, well,
1: I'll just I'll just add that I'm very curious to see the outcome because I think that when an apostolic visitation of a diocese takes place, it almost always results in discipline being executed against that bishop. So I think it is likely that he's gonna be removed or have his powers taken away. And frankly, I'm I'm that's what I'm hoping and praying for because yeah. I've I've been saying for at least two years that his continued presence as an active ministering bishop of the Catholic Church is a scandal because he constantly is tweeting out uh, crazy things, attacks against the Pope and promoting extremist ideas that flagrantly contradict the magisterium of Pope Francis. And so that's separate from whatever mismanagement may be taking place in the diocese, which is probably what they're asking people about. You know, is he leading the diocese? leading the priests effectively um or is he just spending his time on twitter well i know
0: that and there have been rumblings underneath from um from employees of former employees and employees of the diocese and priests of the diocese which i didn't the article that i wrote the making of bishop strickland which i'll put in the show notes is more about the ideological turn that he made yeah but there's a whole other story that started in 2017 2018 he became bishop in 2012 where uh some major changes were made in the chancery in the diocese um and he um has basically they they dumped all the employees at one point unceremoniously and replaced them with others i don't know all the details so don't quote me on that but there there were some there are a lot of hard feelings in the chancery or of people who used to be in the chancery and a lot of, um, a lot of questions about whose advice he's been following. And I think, actually, I think that applies both ideologically and from a management standpoint. I think he's been listening to a lot of people who have been giving him bad advice. And I, I, you know, I don't, it's hard for me to, to think that he is, um, intentionally doing damage, I think that there's a a certain ignorance or innocence to him, but I think it also demonstrates that he is not fit to lead a diocese, especially in this climate. Now, one one thing, when you talk about uh, the departure, I know for a fact that, um, because I looked it up Bishop Martin Holly, who was the Bishop of Knoxville, who was removed in 2018 for uh, management reasons, he had his visitation around the same time. He had it in, I think they said, June 18th through 20th, which is around the same timeline as Bishop Strickland's. Now, my understanding is he was asked to resign, he refused, and then ultimately he was removed and it was announced on October 24th. So that's over four months. Um, Given the backlash to the simple fact that there was a visitation in Tyler, I don't know if the Vatican can push on uh, or can wait that long, because it seems to already be exploding.
1: Well, the Vatican never moves at the speed we want, though. <laughs> yeah. So, it might be two years, who knows? Yeah. But they also just accepted the resignation of Bishop Stika, who was also visited by the Vatican, and so yeah. It,
0: yeah, absolutely. We'll see. Okay, so our next topic is Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez, who was. Named the prefect of the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith, the former CDF or Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, he will replace uh, Cardinal Luis Ladaria, who is reaching retirement age. I believe, I believe Archbishop Fernandez will be starting in um, September, and this is a big move. Uh, maybe sure. you can fill that in or, or, or fill in some of those some of the theological reasons for that.
1: Well, I'm sure we'll learn more as time goes on, but uh, for one, he's relatively young, so he could serve multiple six-year terms as the prefect, and this is the second most important dicastery at the Vatican. It used to be the most important, but it's been demoted under Francis's reforms because the dicastery for evangelization is now the new supreme uh, office, but... This new Archbishop Fernandez, this new prefect, rather, he is basically Pope Francis's ghostwriter and his closest theological advisor. Right. And he helped write the uh, Paracita document in 2007, back when Pope Francis was still Cardinal Bergoglio. Uh, That was a crucial kind of groundbreaking document of the Latin American Bishops Conference. And then it became the blueprint for Pope Francis's own personal blueprint as pope, which is Evangelii Gaudium. So he yes. wrote that or, I mean, not single handedly, but he wrote large parts of that. Laudato Si about ecology, global warming, etc., cetera. And Amoris Laetitia about the family uh, and, of course, the controversial stuff about letting remarried Catholics receive the sacraments in certain cases. So this is really signaling kind of a bombshell uh solidification and institutionalization of Pope Francis's magisterium, which has been challenged so many times over the past 10 years. So I would agree with those commentators who who are saying like, this is a huge deal because it's really looking to the future of the church and sending a clear message that the teachings of Pope Francis are real Catholic doctrinal teachings and they're not going anywhere and they are going to be institutionalized you know because there's so many people who in my opinion have their heads in the sand who sort of think that this papacy is going to blow over pope francis is going to die or retire and then there'll be a new pope who will roll back everything which is not going to happen and then we'll just pretend these 10 years never happened. And I think this move together with lots of other moves he's made recently shows, no, this is the Francis era that we're living in. There was a JP two era, which was followed by Ratzinger, you know, yeah. blocking decades, not years.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I- I guess one of the things I'm, and I really haven't looked into the, I guess, for lack of a better term, the um, conservative Catholic response to this, but what what you're saying about the reality of Pope Francis's papacy is very, um, it's very interesting to me because when uh, recently I wrote an article about the Archbishop Nuncio, uh, Christophe Pierre's speech about the, uh, to the uh, U.S. bishops last month, and one journalist, uh, Ed Condon of the pillar seemed to be quite triggered by it, almost infuriated by this, by this particular article, um, or by this particular speech. And he wrote an article about it, basically saying that because Archbishop Pierre was saying that the synod was the, was willed by the Holy spirit and that this is the way forward for the church and all kinds of things like that, that, um, it was, it was tying, well, he was saying, is he insinuating that Pope Francis is uh, having private revelations about the Holy spirit. Um, And the other thing that he said was that it was tying the synod to one Pope and, and, you know, basically hinging one particular vision on Pope Francis where, I mean, I didn't even understand where he was getting that um, especially because you look back in history and for you know, I, I went back about 150 years, but pretty much every pope said something to the effect of this is the will of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit yeah. is going to bless this, or this is the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit is leading us to go. Um, now in the US, I think a lot of people are responding and basically saying, you know, they're they're rolling their eyes or they're chuckling or they're making fun of the synod or saying it's a meeting on meetings. But that was
1: the same thing liberals did. For decades to say there's this ordinary Catholic teaching, which says that the Holy Spirit gives special assistance to the Bishop of Rome. This is yeah. in the Clatechism, this is in um Lumen Gentium, it's ordinary Catholic teaching. Oh yeah. And I think for decades on the left in the church, it was sort of like the Holy Spirit is asleep in Rome because they're making so many mistakes, whatever, right? And it's not to say that Rome is perfect, right? Yeah you know, that's not what the teaching means. And now here, yeah, just sort of rolling their eyes and say, oh, how dare they say that the sin out of bishops is inspired by the Spirit? But but, but the popes have been saying for centuries, yeah, and, and things and I, they but... do and write are, you know, leading the church forward at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's, standard catholic
0: belief. yeah and and a lot of anathemas if anyone saith that the paraclete does not blah 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 blah, let him yeah. be anathema you know it i mean this i mean pope leo and 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 the 13th and and Pius the ninth were huge on that one um and it, it's kind of funny though because i think that a lot of them are really just trying to keep their heads down and ignore amoris Letizia and ignore yeah. uh, evangelii gaudium and not and not seeing it as I mean, yeah, Pope Francis is 86 years old. He's not going to be around forever. Uh, the next pope may not be a fan of, of Archbishop Fernandez, who will likely be Cardinal Fernandez by the time no, he's elected. Sure. Um, the next pope could be Cardinal Archbishop Fernandez, (laughs) you know, if assuming he's elected, he's put in the College of Cardinals, they might, uh, you know, not want to change horses midstream. Well, there's a
1: precedent for that, (laughs) Ratzinger.
0: Yes. Well, and not only that, but look at Paul VI. We were one year into the Second Vatican Council, and the when a pope dies, everyone has to offer their resignation. Right. The pope is under no, you know, there's nothing binding him to continue the council. Or in this case, if it was this, you know, if God, heaven forbid, in the middle of one of Pope Francis's programs, um, the next pope is not bound to hold the next synod meeting. He can totally change the schedule. But the idea that the church, that the Holy Spirit isn't alive in the church, that we aren't being asked to follow what the church is calling us to do now, and not to expect that every pope will bring his own charisms and talents and interests and areas of emphasis And that there, very well could be adjustments. There very well could be changes, but they aren't going. It's we're not talking about rolling back. We're not talking about reversals. We're talking about future developments. And I think the idea of development has been warped by traditionalists to see it as something that's totally linear and straight ahead and foreseeable. But that's my point. Is if a development was foreseeable then we would have no need for development because right. the current magisterium would just jump from point B to, you know, point Z. Um, yeah.
1: Now, history so. is, is messy, and this this new synod, it's two synods, and it's this synod process, really, is, in the words of Pope Francis and these other collaborators of him, it is a continuation of Vatican II, right? And so if you go yeah. all the way back to Vatican II and the language that pope john the 23rd used and since then this is the church really after going through the anti-modernist crisis of the early 20th century coming to grips with its kind of historical place that there is the church is a subject moving forward through history it is not a timeless eternal perfect society and updates need to be made you know and this is a continuation of that, and it's messy, and it's complicated, and we may not always get it 100% right, but Pope Francis has made it clear for 10 years now, and he's, and he's almost, we might say, doubling down on it recently, yeah. that this process must continue to go forward, and it may include some changes. Uh, it could include women deacons, we know. It may not, but that is on the, one of the discussions that the Instrumentum Laboris and the Synods asks people to reflect on. Um, new ministries, such as women being instituted as lectors, and all the other themes, we have to make. Con- it says in the Instrumentum Laboris, we have to make concrete steps towards uh, these new re- these new historical realities that we're living in 2023.
0: Now, uh, one last thing before we do move on to the uh, Instrumentum Laboris yeah. is the issue of the dubia. And this is what I was wow. going to say in terms of Fernandez, Archbishop Fernandez. There's been a movement of people who have now, I think it's a clear violation of Lumen Gentium 25, which says that we must assent to uh, even non-magisterial, m- magisterial, non-definitive, teachings. Non-definitive. 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 Sorry. Yes. There's non definitive teachings of the authentic magisterium on faith and morals, according to the manifest mind and will of the Pope. Yeah. And his mind and his mind and will in the matter can be made. Yeah. I'm going to do the quote. I'm going to try to paraphrase or even come close to quoting, but his mind and will in the matter can be seen by, uh, by his frequent repetition, by his, uh, by his other writings, by his speech What does he mean? Now, I think there's been no question that the correct interpretation of Amoris Laetitia that he intended when he promulgated this document was what Archbishop Fernandez has written, what the Buenos Aires bishops have written, uh, basically that there are certain circumstances where people um, are uh, where exceptions on individual basis can be made for Catholics who are divorced and civilly married if they're not culpable for mortal sin and other, you know, other things apply that are, and these are all listed in Amoris Letitia, but they're ignored. And people look at the letter of the law and try to twist it in a way that it doesn't, that according to them, it doesn't necessarily say that. It could just yeah,
1: be, I mean, I think what it obviously says.
0: Yeah. I mean, they say, you know, the sacraments, the help of the sacraments. And I remember reading an article that said, well, you know, people uh, when they go to mass, you know, they're being helped by the Eucharist, oh. or they can go into the confessional and be right. helped by the priest, but not absolved. And it's like this is a totally implausible reading, but to a certain set of people, this is the
1: only it's Orthodox terrible. reading. Them to call it implausible, it's ludicrous. It's yeah. ludicrous. And if anyone was confused that Pope Francis declared the Buenos Aires interpretation definitive and the only valid magisterial interpretation of a Morris. Yeah.
0: Well, some people even Uh, said that that wasn't clear enough. It could have meant this or this or this.
1: You can always say that you can always say something is unclear, but this is what I mean by like living in a fantasy land. Like I, I respect the more hardcore trads a lot more who are honest about saying this is what the Pope said. And it's wrong because it contradicts the tradition as we understand it. Therefore, we reject it. That yeah. I can engage with. That I can, we can have a dialogue about that, right? And we're not going to excommunicate them Yeah. You know, over that. Unless but, they
0: declare Francis an anti-pope or, they well, know,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> although to my knowledge, no one has ever been excommunicated for Sedevacantism, at least not yet.
0: Really? Well, well yeah. I mean, spelling, it's usually like, tied to like Archbishop Thuc from... The 1970s, I think, was excommunicated for ordaining Sede yeah. bishops. Right. But, that yeah. He,
1: be, when you ordain, when a bishop ordains a man without the explicit approval of Rome, it leads to an automatic excommunication.
0: Actually, I will. The Jeremy Leatherby, former priest of the Diocese of Sacramento, was excommunicated by his bishop, Jaime Soto, oh. for thinking that Benedict was still the true Pope
1: several years ago. It's rare for a bishop to use his power of excommunication.
0: And I believe there were some hermits off the coast of Scotland, probably five or six years ago. I think it's happened at the local level.
1: I should amend my statement to say that the Bishop of Rome has never excommunicated anyone for Vacantism. You know, traditionalists, no matter how radical they are, as a rule, they're not excommunicated. They are members of the Catholic Church. Uh, so yeah, SSPX, all those people, they are members of the Catholic Church still,
0: even if they're in schism.
1: Well, <laughs> sorry, this, that's a whole
0: can of worms. They have
1: to be. They have to be obstinately, manifestly, in schism, and they that which means they'd have to be culpable for it. And so, without a declaration from ecclesiastical authority confirming that, I think in charity we should assume. That such people are not excommunicated. Yeah. I mean,
0: they have not excommunicated, but I think that several uh, magisterial documents have clearly said the schism of the movement affiliated with Marcel Lefebvre, and you know, it they were excommunicated for a schismatic yeah. act.
1: Yeah, the ordination, but you you know, of course, that Pope Francis restored the faculties of granting absolution to that SMPS. was not for the
0: peace, that was for the people. There's a whole Actually, there's know, a whole... <laughs>
1: but he also intervened to make sure, I believe, the Argentinian government would uh, would recognize yeah. such people as Catholic on their passports or yes. whatever
0: it was. It's I, a complicated that's... issue. It's a complicated issue. And it, that's a whole other show, actually. Um... Well, we're,
1: we're, but Pope Francis, you know, yes, he restricted the Latin mass, but he wants to keep us all together yes. in one holy Catholic church. And so, at least in my opinion... These traditionalists, even if they're confused and think that Pope Francis is not Pope, I would still accept them as my fellow Catholics.
0: I think that's fair to say. I think that they're part of, although I would stress that they're part of a group that is not recognized by the church, their priests and their their bishops exercise no legitimate ministry. Their priests only have faculty for faculties for their own sake and so on and so on and so on. Um, sure. But they are ca- they are Catholics that are acting in disobedience, right. I guess. Which yeah, isn't it's, which it's is Catholic. a lot of Catholics for that but matter. But
1: they're still Catholics, yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. We and, still and, count and,
1: them.
0: And when people say that you know uh, Biden and Pelosi or whoever are not yeah. Catholic, they are Catholic. They may right, not be Catholic. Orthodox. They're, they may not yeah. follow what the Church teaches or believe what the Church teaches, but they are. Well, Catholic. and
1: they manifestly don't on abortion, yeah. right? That's yeah, manifest. Yeah. But they're still Catholic
0: yes absolutely okay so um but yeah i think i think that the issue of the dubia i think it's almost it's it's impossible to live in denial anymore i'm sure some will continue to try it's, to think
1: it's been impossible oh yeah i view for years but well you said you know like really Amoris Laetitia was a breaking point for many people and that was yeah. only three years into this papacy oh yeah um but what i'm saying is this is yeah it's like an institutionalization legacy type move to put fernandez at the head of the ddf the doctrine of the faith this is a clear sign of this is the way this is the future this pontificate is not a parenthesis Mm -hmm. this pontificate is legitimate these magisterial documents are legitimate And I mean, is this going to change anything for those bishops, A number of American bishops, sadly, who try to kind of pretend these documents don't exist, or they just cherry pick a few quotes they like so that they have the appearance of being supporters of Pope Francis. They're going to keep doing that.
0: Yeah. And I think, and this is something that I've talked about before and that, you know, Austin Ivory has written about it, I think, and and I know this firsthand because I personally went through it, is in order to embrace the fullness of the magisterium and to break away from, you know, the reactionary U.S. conservative Catholicism milieu that is, you know, basically sort of traditionalist, sort of neocon, sort of GOP, but it doesn't...
1: E-W-T-N,
0: EWTN Steubenville.
1: E-W-T-N sphere, yeah.
0: Yeah. It is a dramatic shift and it requires... One who is in that mindset to undergo a crisis of faith,
1: hmm.
0: which is scary because yes. you don't know what the mm-hmm. other end is going to make you because you are holding on to certain things so strongly yeah. and you know certain concepts, a certain paradigm, a certain structure so strongly that you don't. Yeah. That the thought of wait a minute, it says here, I'm supposed to submit to the Pope like it's and that for me it was actually reading uh, the CDF document from 1998 about papal primacy reading pastor eternus reading lumen gentium and realizing that my concept of orthodoxy was in no way traditional or systematic and that i needed to put more trust in into the holy spirit's guidance of the church in matters of doctrine and in christ's promise that the gates of hell will not prevail and Letting go of my preconceived notions was terrifying, but yeah. ultimately it was liberating. And fortunately for yes. me, I went through it a little bit before Francis became pope, because otherwise yes, I may have too. been just—I may have been just as reactionary. So,
1: um, right, and and I can identify with that very much. I I was kind of going through that crisis in 2012, and maybe a little earlier while I was doing my uh, PhD. Catholic, and I was ready for Pope Francis. I needed Pope Francis. Pope Francis, his words, his example, all of it was like balm for my soul. So for me, it was beautiful and it was wonderful. So I was like on board day one. But for other people, religion in the modern world is deeply, deeply personal. And so that's why, like those SSPX we were just discussing, I want to show a lot of grace to Catholics who are not able to assent yeah. some of Pope Francis's teachings, that's fine. They can still go to mass. They, they need to go to mass. They need to receive Holy communion. They're not bad people, but we need to draw the line at bishops especially and priests yeah. as well, because we need leaders in the church who are able to fulfill their duty, which means they need to be able to teach in accordance with the second Vatican council, you know, the teaching documents of Pope Francis, as well as Benedict XVI, John Paul II. If they can't do that, at the very least, they should keep their mouths shut and should yeah. not be on Twitter announcing den- denouncing uh, the Pope, right? That never would have been accepted under Benedict XVI. And I don't see why it should be accepted today.
0: Well, I mean, I've, I'm, I know it. I've heard from so many seminarians that I know that this mentality is pervasive there. It's, you know, they, they become ordained priests with this ideology built in. Yeah. Um, It's and, and these are in theory, there are future bishops. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I wrote an article called contempt, uh, you know, contempt for Pope Francis is, I forget what a long-term problem. That's what it was. Contempt for Pope Francis is a long-term problem because if they don't, if if Catholics go all the way through this papacy for however long it runs and finish it with this idea that Pope Francis was an evil heretic, and these are our young priests and our bishops and our, well, our young priests and our seminarians, and then as the, as the, and this is a U.S. problem particularly, like what is the future of our church going to look like? You know, the, we, we look at the SSPX, and one of the reasons why I, I'm pushing back against your statements of the SSP about the SSPX is because I've been reading and listening to and watching a lot of ex-traditionalist testimonials, people who broke free from the SSPX probably within the last two or three years. And what they describe is something that is so deeply entrenched and so deeply contrary and opposed to the authentic Catholic Church that it's, it seems almost unsalvageable. It's, you know, when people say it's a different religion, that's true. Um, And why don't we, why don't we slide into the area then of the Instrumentum Laboris, our last topic? Um, Because I think that there is similar pushback to this document. And it also goes back to what I said about um, the Ed Condon article, where People are reading it and looking at it. They're making fun of the graphic design. And as a graphic designer, I have I my... Knew.
1: When I saw <laughs> those pictures in it, I thought this must be causing some conservative heads to melt down. The oh, stones yeah. being put together.
0: Oh, yeah. And and it's it's funny because it's like in global Catholicism, this stuff is, is par for the course. Um, yeah. But it's... Uh, the Instrumentum Laboris is, first of all, not a magisterial document. Um,
1: by design.
0: By design, it is a synthesis of the things that Catholics are saying they they uh, they they like that they're receiving from the church, the things that they desire to receive from the church, what they want to see the church to be, what the church is to them. Now, critics will jump on and say, "Well, only one percent of Catholics took part in blah blah blah," and but that's I mean, a lot of
1: people. Oh yeah, 1%? it's of the Catholic Church is an enormous number of people.
0: 10 billion, right? Or 10 million, 10 million. 10 I'm billion! <laughs> 10 million people being pulled. That's the biggest poll in the history <laughs> of anything, I think. I don't know. Sorry, right. not billion. My, it's, you know, it's well, in the, what are the
1: There's like 8, there's like 1.3 billion Catholics, right? Yeah. So if you pulled 1% of them, then uh, what is that? Like 130 million people, right? Yeah. That is Wait, actually
0: 130 or 10. No,
1: oh, sorry. I'm sorry. 13 million. Mm-hmm. 13, 13, million yeah. 13. I'm sorry. Now I, now I did it. Math is hard. 13 million people. So doing a, it's not a poll, but okay. But doing a listening sessions and questionnaires and feedback with 13 million human beings is actually an enormous undertaking far beyond what you normally see because the Catholic church is a gigantic institution. So I would not, so I don't buy the 1% thing of of trying to demean it by saying it was only 1%. Yeah. I mean, do you want to say it's not going to be fully reflective of the views of all Catholics? Well, obviously.
0: Yeah. But there are certain themes that come up. I think a lot of the people, they wanted to reach out to people who were far away from the church, but still had a draw to it. Also, you know, I'm sure most of the people who who participated were the type of people who follow church things and who are the people who are actually working in the church, who are doing ministry in the church. That's not a bad thing. Um, That's just how it is. It's just how it is. And it's it's funny because, I mean, look at Bishop Strickland, you know, it's only a tiny percentage of Catholics are on Twitter. Right. Yet the influence that he has in the Twitter Catholicism world has repercussions in Rome. It has repercussions across the nation.
1: Um, you know, how much we, the Latin mass, what percentage of Catholics attend the Latin mass? I think it's
0: 0.1% if that.
1: And, and yet the Latin mass continues to be a big deal. Right. And so this idea of like, Oh, well, it's a small percentage of them. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. And the, and the Latin mass people were invited to participate in the Senate. So. Yeah. And
1: some of them used it as a forum to say we're unhappy with (laughs) right. That was something that showed up. My parish did listening sessions. I did not participate, but I did see they posted on a piece of paper, a summary right there in the hall summary of things people talked about. And a lot of it had to do with the difficulty of kind of post COVID rebuilding community and stuff. And so to me, it looked very authentic, regardless of the number of people that actually showed up. um, It was a consultation of people in our parish.
0: And I think a lot of Catholics have a, and actually Father Thomas Reese, and I want to commend him because I thought that his most recent article was very good about what Americans don't quite understand about the synod. It's the synod. And this is, you know, I know people tear apart the phrase. The synod is about being church. How right. are we
1: it the church? That What's that? It uses that phrase. Oh,
0: yeah, it does. Church, and, guys, and people... In
1: Instrumentum laboris.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and Archbishop uh, Pierre used it too in his speech. But yeah. what it really is is... There's it, nothing it, wrong
1: it, with saying that. It's a oh, yeah. Choice. And it
0: goes back to, to, the, to the people of God that was emphasized in, yeah. in Vatican II. Vatican
1: II. We and don't think II. of
0: ourselves as a people. We don't right. think of our fellow Catholics. And I, I commend you is actually with when you were saying I consider these people, my fellow Catholics with, you know, rad trads and, and all that kind of thing, because we should see ourselves as a people, as a family. Um, we are part of a, a universal church. We are bound by the same ecclesial interface or, you know, uh, authority structure. We are the pope is the visible source of our unity. And Catholicism, Catholicism, people have this approach of if I do a lot of Catholic things, if my mass has Latin and um, you know chant, and we have big families and we have uh, kneeling and receiving on the tongue, well that that those are those are Catholic things, and we have more of those Catholic things yeah. than uh, it's like no, that's not. I mean, those things are not bad in and of themselves, right. but I think that they um, people miss the. The forest for the trees. They miss the communion for their own, you know, very limited idea of what it is to be to be Catholic. And I mean, a lot of Catholics are uh, don't seem to understand that in certain parts of the world, everything from like the rubrics to the way that people celebrate to what a mainstream mass is in a certain country that's totally devout. I mean, you look at African masses, there's dancing, there's swaying, there's clapping. Um, you know, in the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo, they have their own right, their own or their own use of the of the Latin uh, or of the yeah, of the Roman right. Um, and and so in the Amazon Synod, you have a group of Catholics who don't have access to priests most of the time, who still keep the faith alive through celebration of the word, through community gatherings, through community prayer, through what to them are Christian rituals and prayers. Um, and just because it looks foreign to us or to some, to those, for some people, because it looks foreign to them, uh, they just assume it's not Catholic because it doesn't come with the package. You know, it doesn't look like the illustrations in the um, in the Baltimore Catechism. Um, but the fact of the matter is, in this modern era, which was and it was recognized during Vatican II, rapidly secularizing, where the things that people pray for back in in olden times, you know, they'd be they'd pray that they have a, a roof over their head and that they have enough food to eat, and like that the they have th- that they have a harvest and that they don't die of some communicable disease. Um, you know, we're so unused to communicable communicable diseases that you see how, how so many Catholics reacted to to covid for example i mean lost their minds and went in for conspiracy theories and all kinds of things but um in terms of just comfort comfort of living we don't need to pray to god for that anymore you know that that just comes and and so what is it that um the faith um what what is the relevance of the faith then rather than giving us good things and and you know punishing our enemies and rewarding the good. Um, I think I, and not that the seeds of this weren't there back in, you know, back in the gospel when the, when Jews were in occupied territory and a lot of them were poor and, um, you know, it was a matter of, of sub subjugation rather than Christendom, which in which the Christians were the rulers and imposing Christian, you know, teaching on people. Um, It, it seems that we we need to explore why people are christian today why they should why we should be christian today what the future of the church is um i don't know if you have any i mean you taught a bunch of high schoolers you you probably uh with all kinds of faith backgrounds and uh you know yeah. levels of catholicity and struggling and that kind of thing i don't know if you have if you've learned a lot about uh what francis is trying to do from your exposure
1: yeah I do think that my my new position teaching uh young people catechetics really um it has opened my eyes to to what reality is like on the ground you know because my my teaching is a kind of a, a lay ministry you know it's it's official and it's you know I'm an employee of the church now and um the things that most people are dealing with today are not about whether the mass should be in latin or these you know should i meal while receiving communion or these like esoteric kind of nitpicky very online arguments you know people are asking questions about does god exist is there an afterlife is the bible true uh did jesus really die from the dead or rise from the dead okay and that's the big picture stuff that's stuff that really, really matters. And I think that we need to attend as a church to that reality because the pews are emptying more and more every day. And so we can't be spinning our wheels, having arguments about the latest Marian apparition or the correct liturgical rubric or the exact correct way to refer to this doctrine. Um, We need to be looking at the issues that that people have. These big spiritual issues that I just mentioned, but also the material issues. Poverty, political division, a sense of hopelessness about the future that many young people have. We know this from surveys. Um, Sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, racism, social injustice, war, like the war in Ukraine. And what I read in the Instrumentum laborus was the the church asking us to reflect on, and, and it has actual questions in it. Lots of yeah, lots the whole of, second it, half how is how,
0: questions. Yeah. yeah.
1: How can they're called worksheets? How can we do this? What can we do to be a better church to respond to these issues? And he mentions that not he, because it's not Pope Francis, but they, the authors of this document, kind of synthesizing all this stuff. Migrants and refugees, extreme poverty, homelessness, LGBTQ people, uh, even polygamy, which is a big issue in Africa. Um, what can we do to enlarge our tent, which is kind of the motto? That is, yeah. right? How can we expand the church to be more welcoming and more inclusive? It, it's not about changing doctrines per se, but it's about welcoming people and putting yeah. Christ first and the proclamation that, yes, there is a God. This God made you in his image and he loves you with an everlasting love. And he sent his son, Jesus, for you. And and we can live a life of hope and faith and love through him that does justice in the world. And like in his letter to Archbishop Fernandez about how he wants him to run the DDF, he says, I don't want you to be investigating various theologians who might have committed errors. I want you to make sure that we put the big truths first. And have a positive proclamation of the gospel in the world today, not putting minutiae and secondary issues ahead of the main truth of the Catholic religion. That main truth is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Okay. And so I feel like the Synod in large part is like, let's figure out how do we become a church that goes to the margins, that includes people and isn't all caught up in itself and all these little debates and in and and fights because we're losing people every day okay pope francis is all about evangelization and so we need to take this issue seriously none of this well i hope the door doesn't hit them on the butt on the way out because that's often the attitude you get from some people is oh well if you don't like the church you can just leave goodbye okay no (laughs) we need to make some concrete changes to get the church to be more inclusive, more international, not so kind of Western centric, right? Uh, and, and it will take a new way of being church. It's really just following through on things Vatican II said 60 years ago, and that Pope Francis has been saying for 10 years. I just hope that the bishops who are invited to these two synods, as well as the lay delegates, because the lay people can vote now yeah. in the synod, that they will, take the task seriously and that the Holy Spirit will appear because Pope Francis is saying this has to be an action of the Holy Spirit. It's not a parliament where we all oh, yeah. and, like have debates and like argue with each other to see whose version of Catholicism wins. And then, and then if you have 51% of the votes, your version of Catholicism wins. You, and I think that's one of the things. It
0: is. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, Pope Francis has criticized about the German Senate. Um, I mean, one of the, the thing with the German synod, and this has always been my impression since day one, it's like, okay, you've got a very liberal Western European or central European Catholic church, um, that has a reputation. I mean, Hans Kung and, and it just has a reputation for some avant-garde, uh, extremely progressive and heterodox theology, obviously other people, Ratzinger. Came from the oh, same. I but, saying,
1: don't forget about Ratzinger. <laughs> I know.
0: I mean, it's you know, it's not a monopoly, but in yeah. terms of numbers, plus they have this huge church, church bureaucracy that isn't you know isn't necessarily the no- most devoted Catholics, but they are embroiled in the church bureau- bureaucratic system. Um, the Germans put forth these proposals, and a lot of them don't align with Catholic ecclesiology. A lot of them especially don't align with catholic moral doctrine okay um i that's to be expected honestly from a from a, a you know a progressive country with a progressive sure. church and the people but,
1: there are well-meaning i mean they yeah. really believe this is what they believe but pope francis now where
0: they went to too far where well, they went too it, far
1: is not what he wants
0: well so, and this is this goes back to the the Father Reese article where he talked about Americans. Americans want to know what the problems are we're addressing. Uh, we should be setting up committees to to discuss them and focus groups and figure out and come up with a plan for how to address these problems. Well, Germans are fixers. Not only are they going to address the problems or figure out ways to address the problems, they're going to lay out a whole blueprint of solutions. Right. Including completely new ecclesiastical structures that aren't anywhere on the church's radar. And it may work within their own like, oh, well, you know, we could just, uh, you know, to keep uh, the type of bishops away from being uh, that would uh, cover up abuse. We'll uh, have people elect them. And it should be women right. too. And it should be, you know, and and, and so what yeah. Francis is saying but is- These
1: proposals are not accepted by the Bishop of Rome. So Yeah, so and and, and it's the ideology
0: men. that goes into it. We've got to have this when we come out of it. Like if anyone goes into it thinking, um, I am not, I'm going to be extremely, you know, we better have married priests by the time this yeah. synod is or over. Or women
1: deacons. Or yeah. women
0: deacons or women priests. Like, and I'm going to be really well, upset. Well,
1: that's not even on the agenda. It's not even they're on really,
0: the agenda, they're... but I'm just- <laughs> Or change sexual morality. Unless they do that, I'm going to be really upset, which is not on the
1: agenda either.
0: And um, and and on the other hand, like, you know, American conservative Catholics are saying if if they go into this or change any of that or re- right. redefine
1: everyone you know, has the this, red, a red line and it's, exactly. like it's my way or the highway. But the Instrumentum Laboris very clearly says that's not what this is about.
0: Exactly. And and I don't even know if they'll resolve anything in this synod because this is a synod. That's it's true. it's called. Well, yeah, but I'm saying this synod, this current global mm-hmm. synodal process is called for a synodal church. It is right. calling us to become a synodal church, which is something that's yeah. foreign to a lot of us. And so I think that that's. Um, And a lot of
1: bishops don't want it. The bishops who are dragging their feet or they're totally silent about the synod or, or frankly, they're putting their energies into something else that is kind of being offered almost as like, instead of the synod, we're going to do a Eucharistic Congress, basically. Yeah. Um, Um,
0: Well, we did the synod. We had that online brochure. We did it. We handed it in. Like,
1: come on. What more do you want from us? A synodal church is one that empowers lay people and everybody to work together collaboratively. Not, as a
0: people, as a people, right. not with in that under German Peter.
1: progressive yeah. thing where the late people would would have veto power over the bishops. That's not going to happen because the bishops are the divinely appointed leaders of the Catholic Church, but that it's going to be collaborative. And when I look at bishops who are not interested in the synod, basically what I see is I'm not interested in losing any of my authority. I don't want to listen to voices that I consider wrong. Um, I just want people to listen to me and do things my way. And 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 that is the exact thing that Pope Francis is trying to destroy, and they recognize that. They see what he's doing, and they're like, nope. And so they're going to try to fight against it as much as they're able.
0: Well, and I think that, and this is probably where it's a little less duplicitous, but it's even more grievously wrong, is a fear that the Catholic Church will somehow Put forward on an, in an official way. And some of them think it already has. I mean, traditionalists think it already has. Put forward yeah, yeah. in an official way, something that is not compatible with the traditional Catholic faith. That already happened
1: at not... Vatican II. That already happened in the 1960s. Well,
0: I'm a I'm a development and continuity guy. So right. What I'm I,
1: saying is if that's your attitude, is I'm afraid the magisterium is going to say something new that's different yeah. than the perennial tradition. Uh yeah, have you read Vatican II, right? Yeah. What well, I mean, you, you look to?
0: at Here's the thing without the authority, you take the issue of religious liberty from Vatican II. you know, Lefebvre puts forward a lot of arguments that are convincing for a lot of people about why this is a rupture and the church put forward a lot of arguments. I mean, they put forth, you know, dignitatis humane that says why um, it's a God given right. Religious liberty is part of, of, of what, what is necessary uh, from God and you've got these two you've got these two arguments and you know what if you know my call well you know he he's tracing the line pretty clearly that looks like a rupture to me if that's all it was then you know there's no right there's no wrong it's like it's 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 up to whoever but the catholic church talks about the magisterium which yeah. is the pope and the bishops teaching in communion with him when they yeah. put forth something there is a guarantee that it is faithful, that it is in continuity. And we don't have some Catholics love to do it. You're a theologian, I'm you know, a busybody, like a lot of Catholics like to, to do the math and trace those steps. You know, yeah. uh Pedro Gabriel's got a book about that thick on Amoris Letizia, and how it is in community in continuity with the sacred tradition. Um, it, it debunks every single possible point out there, but you know what? You put you put his book up against the dubia and people who are inclined to follow the dubia,
1: eh, you
0: know, his book's wrong. The dubia is right,
1: yeah.
0: but that's not how it works. The yep. reason why we have a Pope, the only way this thing stays together is by trusting in Christ's promise to Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, yes. which means sticking with the Pope and in every schism in the history of the church, Sticking with the Pope has been how unity has been maintained.
1: He is the visible source of our unity. That's Catholic dogma. Um, you know, I totally agree with you, but what you're asking is very hard for a lot of people. In the modern yeah. world, religion is very personal, very individualistic, right? It's the way it is. Traditionalism is a very postmodern thing. It's kind of a do-it-yourself thing. Religion, we can do Catholicism without the Pope. Talk about the more radical traditionalism here. And, uh, you know, it's part of their identity. So they're not going to give it up easily. So that's why we have a big task ahead of us. You know, the Synod is asking us to reflect on how can we maintain, like how can we overcome polarization and maintain unity while increasing participation and communion so that everybody is included you know, left or right, whatever, uh, Western, -Western, non-Western, gay or straight, that everybody can be included, we have to be able to swallow our pride and make that space for others, which is basically what the Synod is about. But the the, the thing that's so hard, I think, is everything I just said, that's the thing that some people are against, is, is they're saying like, wait, we shouldn't be making space. We shouldn't be including, right? LGBTQ people should be excluded, right? And so they, well, don't... they or
0: or the first thing we need to say to them is convert. We need to focus on right. that,
1: that sin. Right. So you know... that's the hard thing that does worry me. And that's why, you know, I myself, you know, you have to keep praying for the synod because the Holy Spirit has to show up. He has to be in the words of the of the synod, the protagonist of what's going on, because humanly speaking, this is impossible, right? Look at the divisions. They cannot be overcome from a human point of view, right? How can the church move forward where it's not one side beats the other, right? But we move forward together in real unity while, while accepting legitimate differences, differences of opinion, you know, and the Latin mass was not suppressed. You can still have Latin masses with the Bishop's approval that we can, Stay together, right? Yeah. Um, and in fact, expand, right? We don't want to just stay together. We also want to expand. It feels impossible to me. If I'm speaking humanly, I'm looking at the synod and thinking this is going to fail, right? How we can't do it. We're too divided, right? Yeah. But we, we have to pray that God is with us and that this, this can be done, you know? And it's going to take a while though. So that's and why it's going to be a Francis, mess. Yeah, it's going to be a mess, but Pope Francis is okay with that. Uh, he delayed the synod a year, and then it, one synod became two synods now. so It was all
0: synod, but two assemblies, I think, is the... Yeah,
1: well, the yeah, lo- it's a synodal process. It doesn't even it
0: have a called. name that's pronounceable. I mean, that's the problem. Right. It's called... It's not the synod on synodality, although that was sort of the... That's been the nickname. The short but it's I like, call it
1: the meta synod.
0: Yeah, I call it the global synod. I don't know, but it's like, for a synodal church is not
1: <laughs> yeah. that's not a name well it talks about like mission participation and communion Yeah, right these are like the three aren't those the three main themes i think of instrument yeah. um mission we haven't talked much about that but that's it says like that's why does the church exist to preach the gospel that's yeah. why the church exists right we don't just exist because jesus wanted a fan club uh to, to preach the gospel and so uh how do we do that effectively in 2023 and beyond because right now we're not yeah we're not doing that effectively well the catholic church is growing numerically only because of making babies and because in certain parts
0: of of the world there are conversions but in places like like africa is going to hit the peak of of evangelization like that you know it's still a lot of tribal you know native religions i guess and the, it seems that the evangelization process is going on well, well there, but obviously they're going to run out of people right. to convert for but lack of on, a better word. On the
1: global scale, yeah. the demographics don't look great. Now, no. it's not to say that we need to maximize the number of members of the Catholic Church. I don't want to, you know, kind of look at it as just a numbers game. But the fact is, we're losing people. We're losing our children. We're losing our grandchildren. Sometimes we're losing ourselves. Yeah, we're we're losing our own faith um because of all these problems we've been talking about and so i i think that um it's a big big task but this is a bold pope he's a courageous pope and instead of kind of like basically closing our eyes and pretending this isn't a problem or saying well if we just become even more reactionary and even more recalcitrant somehow that'll solve the problem you know no so, we got to face it head on
0: so i don't know we're we're let's a final segment that i've just yes. sort of impromptu thought of because you talk about it that incal incalcitrance. um in recent months and and maybe going back a, a year or two i've been i've gotten to know a lot of um ex-traditionalists who have um or more fundamentalist or more reactionary catholics who have had that crisis and have decided to accept Pope Francis. Um, I've also become more familiar with the uh, deconstructionist movements in the ex-evangelicals and the um, yeah. uh, ex-mo, ex-Mormon movement, mm-hmm. which tends to be uh, people walking away from religion altogether. That's, the, That's the almost ulti- always what happens. Yeah. And even in the traditionalist movement, you find that the second generation, like they're always saying, this is how you raise your kids. If you raise your kids this way, they're going to uh, stay Catholic, stay Mormon, stay Christian. Um, But what actually tends to wind up happening is that some become, um, some remain traditionalists and maybe even become more hardcore or become sedificatist or whatever. A lot of them lose faith altogether. Yeah, And then some find their way into the mainstream the institutional church um and what a lot of them talk about is how um ideology has replaced ecclesiology how a purity and modesty you know quote-unquote purity modesty culture especially in the united states is pervasive in the traditionalist movement there's a focus on apocalypticism on conspiracy theory. Um, and this is, and, and this actually kind of in some of these, in other fundamentalist faiths, this becomes associated with Christianity. Um, they think that Christianity means you have to be a, um, a you know, a young earth creationist and yep. you have to, and, you know, they, they share that. I think it's a fake Fatima apparition about how long skirts have to be and shoulders covered and all the Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff like that, you know, they've got this, they've got a Catholicism bred purity culture. Um, And even though you find out later about sexual sin, you know, adultery, sexual abuse, uh, clerical abuse in these cultures, the emphasis on sexual morality is, is so extremely strong that um, anybody who has a lapse, it's like, well, I guess I'm, you know, I'm going yeah. to hell if i stay you know and there's there's a lack there's a lot of inter policing about uh you know i've seen tweets about men going up to women and telling them that their shoulders need to be covered at the latin mass or that yeah. kind of thing um and i think that's something that that really turns off pope francis um okay. <laughs> to say the least um but to bring it back to where I was kind of going last month, we just ended pride month. Um, which is also as if you've been listening to Catholic media is also the month of the sacred
1: heart. Um, we ran, I think I was not a fan of people trying to make those. Yeah. uh, Like anti that that was
0: at uh, odds with each other. I I hate
1: to see, I hate to see Jesus sacred heart used as like a gay bashing. Yeah. It's, it's really, it was, it was, it made me, And,
0: and we, we ran, I think two articles, just two in the entire month, um, having to do with pride month, um, both by, um, Catholics who are, you know, striving, who, you know, assent to the Catholic teaching and who are striving for, to, you know, to live chastely. Um, but who are part of the LGBTQ community. Um, I read them and, you know, vetted them and, and believe me, it's like, this is not an issue that I personally would want to even touch because I'm, you know, obviously I come from a, you know, I, I accept the church's teaching on human sexuality. Um, I know how reactionary the Catholic right is. Anytime these issues are brought up, I know I'm going to be attacked um, I know I, I worry about the author, that they're going to be attacked, and I feel the responsibility as the editor. You know, we make sure that everything in the article is compatible with Catholic teaching and that there are there are indications in there, although we don't want to be like uber preachy, but indications towards um, chastity. Um, and it's really, um, but the thing is, it's the extent of the attacks on us when we do that you look yeah. at father james martin who granted he goes for he goes further than i'd ever go believe me yeah. but he still tends to try to walk that line um and and it's funny because i never would have um published anything about father james martin until he had that audience with Pope francis um mm-hmm and the fact that pope francis shows an openness to him shows an openness to juan carlos cruz that he meets with groups of um you know trans women who in rome are brought to his audiences on you know occasional basis and he meets with them and he talks to them and he listens to them and obviously if you read his writing on sexual morality clear as a bell but the openness that he is giving to LGBT people um, has softened their hearts, I think, and made them more receptive and feel welcomed and feel loved. And every human being, no matter what, is made in the image and likeness of God. And I think that when a lot of people in the LGBT community and a lot of people who support the LGBT community or have empathy for them, see the way that they are treated by some Christian institutions and by some Christians, they say this can't be from god because of all this anger and hatred yeah. over you know, this one The issue.
1: hatred the fear the spewing of of false stereotypes and things saying they're pedophiles and whatnot um yeah they correctly discern that this cannot be from god because they know uh that it's not that this is not loving and it's not correct pope paul vi said that modern man scarcely listens to teachers but but rather witnesses. And the only effective teachers are witnesses. That's Paul Sixth, 50 plus years ago. And Francis likes to quote that a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, Pope Francis, we call the Pope the vicar of Christ, right? The, the stand in the substitute for Christ. Pope Francis meets with everybody. He welcomes mm-hmm. everybody. And if someone is being labeled a sinner or stigmatized or marginalized in any way, he wants to meet with them even more and hug physically, embrace them, and tell them you are loved, you are God's image, you are welcome here, you are not condemned, because the the logic of the gospel is not eternal condemnation. Um, He's just doing what Jesus does in the pages of the New Testament. Just read it. You know, just open it up. John, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Pope Francis always goes back to these two examples, you know. This is what the Synod wants us, and it mentions LBT, LGBTQ specifically, explicitly in instrumental divorce, this is what we need to do more of. How can we do better? How well, can funny. we be more welcoming and inclusive? Of you remind me of
0: oh sorry, of, <laughs> of Jeannie, Gaffigan's, Jeannie Gaffigan's Jeanie Gaffigan saying that Jesus didn't push the woman into the well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he didn't pick up the woman. He didn't pick up a stone and stone the adulteress. Right? Well, and it's he funny said, because sin no yeah. more. He saved her. Let him among you who is without sin cast the first stone, right? The lesson is clear. Okay. So let's not throw stones. Let's not turn doctrine into stones to throw one of the earliest things Pope Francis said in his papacy. Um, and let's, uh, accept people, right? It doesn't mean we have to change our teaching. No, it means we have to live out our teaching.
0: Now I want to bring up a Roman gnome puts up a, a comment saying that his and I'm going to share it because this is something that I face all the time. My largest concern with WPI is that it doesn't seem to be following Christ or the Holy Father when it comes to its position on LGBTQI lifestyles. Okay. So.
1: Well, I think I already answered that. I you did answer that. that, that and, but but so here's the thing. Francis to be about.
0: So the article that we posted, uh, on, I think on Friday, um, by Patrick Peters, was very clear about how it was accepting the person it wasn't and it was that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God now if you want to listen to me personally because there are a lot of accusations on social media I know my I know Here's when I your tweeted, dance, Mike I know I tweeted it out and people screenshotted it and shared it and said this is Mike Lewis showing his true colors and I want to go back to my original point I believe just as firmly as ever in the sexual morality of the church, the sexual doctrine of the church. I was in the past, I would describe myself as homophobic. You know, I'm a straight man. I'm married. I have no, you know, it's like, there's no, I don't have close family members. It was easy for me to other people in that situation. Pope Francis through his outreach to gay people, to in his statements, I mean, everyone brings up, who am I to judge? Um, but he talks about a priest who has goodwill and who is trying. Um, in his outreach to Juan Carlos Cruz, in his openness to Father James Martin's ministry, he has well, set Sister an example. Well, Sister Janine Gramic. Well, writing a letter to Sister Janine Gramic, meeting mm-hmm. with gay people. Goes much
1: farther than Father James Martin.
0: He's looking at the person as someone who is created and beloved by God, and they should be welcomed by the church. Now, yes, they may disagree with the church on the moral doctrine, but just like fratelli tutti, we can still be friends while holding our differences in tension. Like basically, the way he, the way it's described, is in by this custom of fraternity. You take, you take a Muslim how do you how do you uh, express fraternity with somebody of the Muslim religion? You don't pretend there are no differences, okay? But you seek what are your common what what do you have in common? You both love God. You both want to serve the poor. You both want peace, right? These are and and the thing is those theological concepts, those areas of morality where you don't necessarily align, you don't bury them. You, you you acknowledge them, but you hold them in tension while you work together on the things where you can improve. And that tension releases once you've developed a relationship of trust with the person. If you trust someone, even if you hold different beliefs, if you have a mutual relationship of trust, you can talk about issues like your issues on sexual morality, your differences on sexual morality, your differences in theology, you can talk about them and have a deep conversation without it raising to a level of bombast or fighting or condemnation or screaming. Now, none of us are perfect, and sometimes it comes down to that, but I think what Pope Francis is trying to emphasize are the things that are most important, And when it comes to a Catholic who is part of the LGBT community, that is that they, God loves them. God wants the best for them. God wants us to welcome them and make them feel part of the community. They share our baptism. If they are Catholic, they are called to baptism. If they're not Catholic. I mean, these are, these are things, these are areas where we can relate with, with one another. And I do this with, Fear and trepidation. I'm saying these things because I know that they're going to be twisted. There's a former ex-deacon from St. Louis who twists my words. He has a daily update on what Mike Lewis, on Mike Lewis's gay agenda. You know, I'm accused of all kinds of sins and inclinations that, you know, by trolls. Um, and they, they think that I'm revealing my true agenda When what I am doing is I am trying to follow in the footsteps of Pope Francis, who is showing a welcome and a kindness and a basic human decency to welcome our brothers and sisters who don't share our lifestyles, our values. I've got my own sins and areas where others are 10 times better than me, even if they have their own sins. You know, it's just a matter of, of Respecting someone's human dignity. Exactly. And, and I know I'm gonna be attacked for it. But
1: but you're in good company, you're just yeah. repeating what Pope Francis has said, and he's attacked even more than you are, Mike. I'm sorry that all those things happened to you because you don't deserve it. But look at Pope Francis. Oh, yeah. No, I mean that it's nothing compared attacked? to
0: Pope Francis. I mean, I'm yeah. You know, it's like I look at the attacks on Pope Francis. Look what they did to Jesus Christ! I look at the attacks on Father James Martin, and I'm small potatoes by comparison. I mean, I, you know, people don't usually invoke my name for being everything that's wrong with the church, which they do with those two. A few have, so I that, and which is an honor, I think. Well, there Um, is
1: there is a WPI derangement syndrome that I have seen on uh on twitter and whatnot it, it always baffles me i, I don't know uh, you know like that ex-deacon you mentioned I, I i don't know why we trigger them how, so much why <laughs> why are they so upset and it doesn't make sense um you know small fry go attack Commonweal. go attack america go attack pope francis they do attack pope francis but yeah i feel like for my answer first of all i agree with everything you said right it was well said and it's not complicated um, I just think when you're deep in a certain ideology, it's hard to, I guess, set that aside or whatever, to just hear what Pope Francis is saying of unconditional welcoming of people, of, of you know, like James says in the New Testament, uh, be doers of the law and not hearers only. Stop judging one another, because if you're a judge, then you're not a follower of the law. This is just straight. From the New Testament, read yeah. the Epistle of James. It's in there, okay? This is biblical teaching. Um, Pope Francis has gone out of his way on multiple occasions to publicly support the ministry of Sister Janine Grammick and Father James Martin, specifically in their outreach to the LGBT community. Yes. He has done this time and time again. He and spoken... the Italian
0: nun who ministers to trans people.
1: That's right. He addressed this in his A Big Heart Open to God, his interview with the Jet Society of Jesus in 2013, within months of becoming Pope, when he talked about his view on welcoming uh, gay people. That was 10 years ago. Um,
0: and if we I look, don't know. if you look at the stati- and if we want to talk numbers, if we want to talk statistics, Austria and Germany, which are countries that keep official roles of Catholics based on tax reasons and donations and allocations to church. When that 2021 CDF document came out, something like 300,000 Austrians walked away from the church. Like within a week, they went to the office and did what needed to be done in specific response to that. And I think part of the reason for this, you know, why Pope Francis is, responding in this way and why we are being more open to people than the church has traditionally been is because the church did impose harsh measures on like one brand of sinner. And really, I mean, if you, you know, if you read a testimonial of, of a gay person who was raised Catholic, you know, in a strict condition, they felt flawed from the day they were born or from the day they realized what their attractions were and they had to bury it and hide it and knew they could not talk about it because it was stigmatized. Um, I mean, I, it's like there, there is a reason for the black backlash. There is a reason yes. for the gay rights movement. I mean, in terms of morality. Okay. Obviously they're pushing for different things than what the, than what right. the church said. But there's a
1: difference between moral teaching. Okay. And civil society. Okay. Yes. Granting people the natural rights that are due to them. Okay. There's also just welcoming people into the church, recognizing that none of us is perfect, right? That we all have sins and some people have habitual sins, right? Mm -hmm. Vices. Okay. So I just don't accept this idea that it's like this strict dichotomy that we either change Catholic doctrine to say that homosexuality and heterosexuality are like equal or whatever. And if we don't do that, then we have to like totally excommunicate gay people. You know, Pope Francis is saying, no, we can welcome everyone, right? Jesus welcomed sinners into his company. Okay. In fact, the church is made up of sinners and we have the sacraments to help us because the sacraments, especially above all the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist is a medicine for sin, right? Yes. People will say, well, if you're in grave sin, it's different. But we know from Amoris Latitia, as well as the Catechism of the Catholic Church and centuries of Catholic moral teaching, that people are often only somewhat culpable or sometimes completely inculpable for the uh, sins they commit that are objectively against the natural law, but they don't realize that in good conscience. Okay. And so they are not excluded from the sacraments for that reason. Okay. Yeah. And I know we're wrapping things up, so we're not gonna go down this this whole road, but I try to explain this again and again whenever it comes up. I feel like Pope Francis explains it better than I do. People continue to not get it. And I guess we just have to keep trying to explain it or or keep praying, you know, that we can. Mm-hmm. You know, the Instrumentum Laboris for the Synod explicitly asks us to reflect on how we can better welcome and include what it calls the LGBTQ plus community. That's and, what we're And English is an do. official
0: language too. English, it says, the English and the Italian are both official. So. Okay,
1: so we're being asked to do that as a church. Okay, and frankly, Pope Francis has been asking us to do that here and there for ten years, and modeling yeah. it with his embrace. I feel like that's very clear. And when I talk about Pride Month, what I'm talking about is recognizing people's dignity, you know, and they say, we're not trying to take away civil rights or put them back in the closet. We want to welcome and include and acknowledge that the Catholic Church has behaved unjustly in the past. And it's still an issue in certain countries, in fact, trying to criminalize homosexuality. The Pope recently said, as you know, what was it, a couple of years ago now that homosexuality should not be criminalized i forget the whole i think it was
0: but, more recent than that but yeah yeah
1: when it, yeah it was anyway um that we need to really like make amends for the harm that we've done the catholic church is not perfect right we are a community of people moving forward in history towards the kingdom of god and the holy spirit through the ministry of pope francis is asking us to do this and we don't know what the outcome of that is going to be but i for one am hundred percent on board
0: (laughs) okay so uh i guess we can wrap up we've given you so we missed two weeks of the uh of the debrief but we gave you a supersized episode
1: i was about to say supersized
0: you know dominic and i tried to keep it to to a half hour but we've been going over that
1: you knew we wouldn't be able to do that
0: I know you've got two, two big mouths, um, but I mean, so you've either got two or three weeks chart. worth of debrief. Everyone. I'm glad. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, it was great I did.
1: having you. Let me know the next time Dominic's absent.
0: Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, so we were thinking, we were talking before about how we need to have the Catholic nerd hour on, on occasion with bringing, of course, Adam and myself, but then David Lafferty and uh, Nathan Tarowski and we that can would be keep, amazing. We could get drinks
1: like Jesuitic. What is it, Jesuitical? Who has the, the, American yeah? Bond, yes, with the, the craft beer of the week. What weird <laughs>
0: thing am I drinking? Yeah. So, um, anyway. Yeah. So do you have anything to plug? Do you have anything to share? Any, any travel tips or uh vacation advice? Keep out of the sun health gimmicks. Well, that you, might yes, have...
1: <laughs> you know, if you're, if your head looks like my head, wear a hat, when you're in the sun. Okay. You know,
0: here's the you don't thing. I want to like,
1: mess around with skin cancer.
0: So I, I lost hair when I was in my early twenties. I was a little thin, but I was like, you know what? I survived it. I got through, I moved on. Then again, in my late twenties, I had round two, but I was still <laughs> like my brother, you know, he's like more bald than you, but I was like, I made it. I made it to, and my dad had good hair. So like, I'm just thinking like, I'm, I'm doing okay. And then like two years ago, all of a sudden, <laughs> everything just all the, it's clumps of, and now I'm like I don't know I
1: you got I you got some up there you got more than I got I do have on. some this that. is
0: this is not yeah. a comb over this is <laughs> anyway but young men you know when it happens to you I think when you see that picture you know where somebody's like you know at a party and they snap it from behind you and you see that circle in the back and you're yes. like wait who said is that that um, happened
1: to me starting in college. The first oh time, I was like, "What's going on there with my head?"
0: Yeah, and but you know, if you make fun of bald people, according to the Bible, you get yeah. Bears by.
1: may may come and kill you. In each
0: she so. bears specifically. Yeah. Anyway, um, so don't, don't make, make fun, fun
1: of, of the bald kids.
0: And uh, yeah, and so I'm going to try to do the uh, the exit stuff. Um, so available links to these topics will be in the description. Um, The conversation is brought to you by smartcatholics.com, the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join our private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest topics for next time. And go to Where Peter Is to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. That includes both me and you, Adam. Um, and let's see, share the episode with family, friends, and followers, hit that subscribe button, bang that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode of the debrief. Even if we miss an episode, then we might give you a double-sized one, um, support where Peter is on Patreon to help us continue bringing you this show and other quality content. Thank you for joining us when it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic church. Stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye.